The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 349 for February 3rd, 2013. RIM is now BlackBerry, the iPad jumps to 128 gigabytes, and Google extends an olive branch to Windows Phone-toting Gmail users. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by The Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, a lot to talk about today, including news and announcements from BlackBerry, but first, a review of the Zag Keys Pro Plus for iPad. Now, I've been using the iPad with a standalone Apple Bluetooth keyboard as a laptop replacement for a little over six months now. It's a good tablet and keyboard combination and can really be a great productivity device for the majority of people out there. You've got the added benefits, of course, of instant-on functionality and, of course, the built-in 4G connectivity if you choose that option. The one thing that's been bugging me about my setup here lately has been the portability. It just isn't easy to carry around both an iPad and a separate keyboard without sort of you know some sort of custom case or bag or something. It's not terribly inconvenient, but enough to where I won't bring the keyboard with me about you know maybe 90-95% of the time when I'm out running around because it's just not easy. Uh, but now my concern is a little bit eliminated here with the, the announcement of the Zag Keys Pro Plus. This is an ultra-thin Bluetooth keyboard. It brings the external keyboard with the convenience then of a magnetic attaching cover. So I picked up my third generation iPad the day that it was released and I used uh, all sorts of different cases with it. And, and the one I settled on here is a leather folio. I've used it pretty much the entire time since I've had this this case. It provides a good combination of a professional look to the device, um, but of course it doesn't provide any sort of keyboard you know, carrying functionality with it. So what you have with the Zag Keys Pro Plus is a way to not only protect the iPad, but also add that keyboard, and it just uses the magnets like you see with any sort of smart cover or these these leather folios that you use, and uh, it, it makes it look uh, you know like it's a kind of a clamshell silver thing, and it, it it's very professional looking. Um, a little Apple like in design even uh, and really the way most of us use our, our mobile devices is uh, is one where you you put the cover on the iPad whenever whatever it is that you're using and then you throw it in your bag or whatever this will protect it enough uh, to the point where I, I felt comfortable with it and using this is really the only cover with it uh, so another thing that I will say is that the backlighting of the keys is a nice touch if you're someone who uses an Apple uh, laptop and you're used to those backlit keys this is a pretty nice way of seeing your keys in the dark whether it's in a you know in a scenario where you you want to have you, you because you can't see the keys or they just kind of a neat look to it um it's it's a nice touch for there um, it also has an integrated stand um, slash central groove in it that holds the iPad at, at a good viewing angle. Um, in my testing, though, the iPad is too heavy to have it propped in portrait mode, so it's going to be landscape only. Uh, but it was uh, it was stable in landscape, and so I was fine for that. Uh, now, for actual use of the keyboard, um, I have to really compare it to what I've been using, and that's been the Apple Bluetooth keyboard. Based on the size of the Zag keys, only about half of that for the Apple unit, but the responsiveness is actually quite nice. I found really that after only a few minutes, my fingers were used to the size and my typing was very quick. In a speed test, I hit 78 words per minute, and that's just off of my average between 80 and 85 words per minute with the Apple keyboard. So just about as fast as what you'd expect from there. And like previous models of the Zag Folio or others, the Zag Keys Pro Plus is light enough to take with you most places. Of course, it adds that magnetic enclosure and uh, really provides a nice combination of both functionality and portability with it. It's again, lightweight. It's got the backlit keys on it, and it's a very comfortable way to carry around a keyboard with your iPad. 
Now, if you're someone who's using something like a smart cover with it, this is not going to work for you. Clearly, uh, this is replacing the smart cover. Uh, it's not quite the same as the Logitech ultra thin keyboard where it's got what, what appears to be a hinge on it. This literally kind of snaps into uh, the keyboard. The iPad snaps into the keyboard itself and it, it fully engulfs uh, the edges of it. So um, it's a little bit different than what you'd expect or than what you've seen with the Logitech. But uh, either way, Zag makes some, some interesting products here. They've made a lot of products. Joey, I know you use a Zag keyboard uh, with your iPad as well. This one kind of takes it to the next level and it allows you to really not have to carry anything else with it. There's no bag necessary. There's no extra piece of hardware. It just fits right on the iPad and you're on the go. Yeah, that's really neat. I like the way that that magnetic latches on there. I, of course, I do like the keyboards with the special keys. It kind of it, it's it's not only just convenient, but it's kind of necessary. But there's a lot of convenience involved with those extra function keys. The backlighting is, of course, really really neat. Um, I like my Zag Solo Keys uh, keyboard here. It's uh, a basic model. Cost me very very little. Uh, used on eBay, and it's just something that I I I sometimes stick in my little uh, iPad case with handles. So, but since I carry that particular case for my iPad. Having this keyboard without the magnetic attachment and, and, and being a case itself, it's perfectly acceptable to me to, to do it that way. And actually, it's more convenient because then it's not like attached to the iPad where if I don't want the keyboard, I just whip, whip it out of the case real quick and throw it out uh, versus having to actually undo the whole thing. So uh, that's uh, that's just you really have to kind of take your usage scenario into to, uh, consideration which keyboard you decide to end up getting. So one thing that uh, th- that I've been used to is I use this neoprene bag, and this was a, you know another eBay, eBay special, and it's got a front pocket in it, and I modified that pocket. Um, to, you know, where I pulled out all the kind of the internal uh, pocketness of it. And, and really, it's just two zippers on either side, and I can slide uh, the Apple keyboard in there nicely. Um, I know you haven't done that, so all you're doing is you're just taking, because you've got one of these bags as well, you're just taking the iPad with your, your Zag keys um, and, and popping it in there, and, and both in the same slot. Is that what you're yep. doing? Yep, exactly. I just put it up against the, uh, you know, the, the vinyl protection I've got on the back of the aluminum iPad, uh, sometimes it goes against the the smart cover because I keep the smart cover on the iPad, so it it doesn't really hurt it or do any you know damage to it in there. Gotcha. Okay. Well, either way, uh, Zag Keys Pro Plus, uh, it's it's a nice option here. Uh, they you can get them over at zag.com if you're interested in picking one up. Uh, but as we like to do with many of the products that we we review, we'll be giving this one away to a lucky show listener. But rather than sending you the review unit, we have a brand new Zag Keys Pro Plus for someone that's out there. And the the contest we're going to do here is very easy. All we're looking for you to do is to retweet our tweet of the Zag Keys Pro Plus review, and you'll add the hashtag on there. TCPJ. So do this by Saturday, February 9th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. We'll choose one listener as the winner and we'll announce it on next week's show. Remember, this is a brand new Pro Plus shipped directly to you from Zag, so you'll be getting a brand new one. Again, all you have to do, retweet our tweet found over at twitter.com slash junkie. It'll be the third post down, I believe. And make sure to include the hashtag TCPJ on the end of it to be entered into the contest. Of course, thanks to Zag for providing this keyboard for our review and this giveaway as well. Now into the news. First up, BlackBerry. Research in Motion on Wednesday held a press conference revealing its new BlackBerry 10 operating system and two new devices. But before any new hardware or software was released, CEO Torsten Hines said that Research in Motion will now simply be called 
BlackBerry. According to Heinz, we have reinvented the company and we want to represent this is our brand. He said the company's new tagline will be one brand, one promise, and the new ticker symbol on the stock market is BBRY. Now also announced there were 70,000 BlackBerry launch applications that are now going to be available for BlackBerry 10 devices. That includes a pretty impressive list of high profile releases, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Foursquare, and Skype. BlackBerry called it the largest catalog of at launch applications for any platform ever. Now, music studios have also voiced support for BlackBerry 10, including Sony Music, Warner Music, and Universal Music. Movie studios and video content companies that have committed to BlackBerry 10 include ABC, BBC, CBS, Fox, MGM, Nickelodeon, Pixar, Disney, Warner Brothers, and others. Next in the presentation came the hardware. BlackBerry announced the Z10 or Z10 and the Q10. The first two smartphones will be running, of course, the new BlackBerry 10 operating system, and they share similar features between the two of them. The Z10 is a candy bar touch phone. This is one that we've seen uh, a lot of pictures of in the past. The Q10 is a smaller touchscreen device that also has a full QWERTY keyboard. Both devices are powered by a 1.5 gigahertz dual core processor. They have two gigs of RAM and 16 gigs of built-in storage. They also support removable micro SD cards up to 32 gigabytes, though some uh, reports of saying that uh, you can use up to 64 gigs in there too. Uh, They have eight megapixel main cameras with LED flashes and they capture 1080p HD video. There's also a secondary camera on the front that's two megapixels and that will do 720p HD video. Wireless support includes 802.11 B, G, and N. Also Bluetooth with low energy, NFC, and GPS. In addition to 4G mobile hotspot, both devices have micro USB and micro HDMI ports, as well as 3.5 millimeter headphone jacks. The display on the Z10 is 4.2 inches, and that is a 1280 by 768 pixel resolution with pixel density of 356 pixels per inch. The Q10 is more traditional, and it's got a smaller 3.1 inch 720 by 720 screen with the physical QWERTY keyboard on it. According to RIM, the Z10 will be available in the coming weeks with the Q10 to follow about a month later. Each will be sold in black and white. Now, worldwide, there are several key markets that were revealed, including pricing and availability in the UK, Canada, and the United United Arab Emirates. In the UK, the Z10 will be available starting on January 31st on pay monthly contracts and prepaid plans from EE, O2, Vodafone, phones for You, uh, BT, 3UK, and the Carphone Warehouse. BlackBerry Z10 smartphones will be fully uh, subsidized on competitive monthly price, uh, price plans. Price plans will vary according to the carriers and retail partners. Up in Canada, the BlackBerry Z10 will be available starting on February 5th. Pricing will be uh, will vary by carrier partner, but it will retail for around $149 on a three-year contract. And in the UAE, the BlackBerry Z10 will be available starting February 10th. Pricing will vary by partner, but unsubsidized, it will retail for $2,599 AED. In the U.S. market, BlackBerry expects availability with most carriers for the BlackBerry Z10 to be in March. U.S. carriers started announcing pre-registration and pricing plans, with Verizon confirming that it will offer the Z10 and the Q10 for $199 with a new two-year contract. Both devices will be available in black and white, but the white Z10 will be exclusive to Verizon for an unknown amount of time. Verizon did not announce when the devices would go on sale. Sprint also announced plans to carry the new BlackBerry Q10 later this year, but made no mention of the Z10. AT&T announced their plans to carry both with no other information or pricing. 
T-Mobile opened up a sign-up page for the Z10, allowing you to be notified when the new device is ready for pre-order, as well as launch date information. Currently, BlackBerry has stated that American carriers will begin selling that Z10 in March and the Q10 in April. And then there was the software. BlackBerry formally introduced all the core features of BlackBerry 10, a whole new platform built on the Qnix core, and of course with that new gesture-based user interface. BlackBerry 10 is centered on two main ideas, BlackBerry Hub and BlackBerry Flow. Hub is a central repository for all incoming messages that includes email, SMS, IM, BBM, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and more. It can be called up from any time from within any other application just by swiping. BlackBerry Flow equates to the gestures themselves and how the operating system responds to finger movements across the screen. The new platform supports up to eight applications running at any one time, which are accessed in a new feature called Active Frames. The Active Frame panel makes it easy to see what apps are running and switch between them quickly. RIM has re-engineered the touchscreen keyboard to be faster and more intuitive. For example, the touchscreen on BlackBerry 10 now learns how users type, tracking where they hit particular keys, as well as how they use words to improve the typing accuracy. The browser has been fully rebuilt to support HTML5 in addition to Adobe Flash. It has features such as pinch to zoom. The camera application is faster and includes a touch to focus shooting in normal and burst shoot modes as well as action and night scenes in there. There's also a time shift feature that allows you to capture the best shot of each person's face in a photo and adjust your picture accordingly. The gallery application has been given a more advanced editing capability that includes cropping, rotating, reducing the red eye, also adding filters and effects, and also sharing via social networks. BlackBerry 10 also adds an app called Storymaker, which can be used to piece together video segments and titles and credits to create mini-movies. Lastly, BlackBerry 10 brings business customers BlackBerry Safeguard and BlackBerry Balance. Safeguard can be used to encrypt user data, manage online privacy, and find or lock a lost or stolen device. BlackBerry Balance is RIM's work-slash-personal-life management tool that keeps business and personal data segregated from one another on the device. BlackBerry also made a couple other announcements. They said that its popular BlackBerry Messenger will now include the ability to conduct real-time two-way video chats between BlackBerry 10 devices. This comes in addition to the instant messaging conversations and voice-over IP calls that were available via Wi-Fi. BlackBerry also introduced BlackBerry Link, a revised version of its BlackBerry desktop manager that works with BlackBerry 10. The Link is compatible with both Windows and Mac computers and allows BlackBerry 10 device owners to sync their devices to computers as well as back them up and perform system updates. Link also is used to sync content such as movies, music, and between other smartphones, PCs, and Playbook tablets. That's a free download and will be available within the coming weeks. And on the accessory side, BlackBerry made a few accessories uh, announcements with the new device on hand. Among many cases, the company now has a charger that includes a slot for a backup battery. The idea is that you'll be able to charge your phone and the backup battery at the same time, and you'll be able to use the uh, kit as a portable charger if for some reason you don't want to swap out batteries. In addition, there's the Bluetooth 4.0 speaker that can clip onto a messenger bag strap and also doubles as a speakerphone. That's got an auxiliary port on it that allows you to play music wirelessly on your stereo or car system and it, uh, if you're that system lacks its own Bluetooth connectivity. Uh, none of the cases will impede NFC functionality, so uh, any of the ones that were seen at the announcement will all work with the NFC that's built in, though no pricing was revealed on any of these products. So lots of BlackBerry news here. We saw, of course, the announcements, the changing of, of RIM's name uh, over to BlackBerry. That's going to be a tough one, I think, to get away from uh, just because we've been calling it RIM now for, you know, over a decade. And, uh, you know, adding into that the new hardware, that's a pretty big deal. We knew a lot about the software, but they, they lined up a lot of things here. And then, uh, you know, fully kind of rounding out the announcements here with the accessories. They did a pretty good job. And this was this really stole the show. And there really was very little else as far as news that happened, uh, not only on Wednesday when the announcement happened, but really through the entire week, this was the big news. 
Well, BlackBerry was a really big company. You know, they were kind of the, you know, they weren't the smartphone revolution, but they were the one that that really gained a lot of traction, especially with enterprise. And a lot of users really took to the the BBM uh, platform over a few years. So it was kind of like, it wasn't like the first smartphone, and it, uh, but it really kind of became the biggest and the most popular that kind of had the cross-platform, kind of, not cross-platform, but, you know, really kind of cross all the different uh, uh, user groups really kind of took to that just due to the fact that it, uh, it, it, it was very email solid, you know, very good for messaging. The keyboard was good to type on. And uh, we've got a lot of interest in this because, you know, they, 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 they fell so hard and so quickly to the likes of Android and iPhone. But it's going to be a tough, uh, tough hill to climb here because still it seems like a lot of just copycat uh, stuff here. I, I didn't see anything that really blew me away, unfortunately. It's, it, you know, I was hoping for something, but it has to kind of grow slowly. You know, we've got Windows Phone that's now been out for a couple of years now, really trying to uh, erode some of the leads that... Uh, you know, uh, iOS and Android have, but I don't know. BlackBerry's uh, multitasking system is basically the WebOS. I mean, that's that uh, didn't fare so well. So I, I don't think multitasking is going to be the big the big winning thing, which that was kind of expected with the the WebOS. But we've got uh, you know, there's of course a lot of enterprises still using BlackBerry, and you know, it's a whole different backend infrastructure to to. Uh, to set up a new Bez server, you can't just use your existing ones. It no longer requires the BIS uh, internet service, which is kind of interesting for these. Um, you know, now that Gmail is moving away from push email, you may have some trouble getting push email on this because the you know the built-in client, unless you have an active uh, or Microsoft Active Sync server, you won't have push email for Gmail right now. You just have to do the interval check. So there's a few things that uh, need to be worked out. Now, as someone who used BlackBerry for a number of years, and, and actually we were both very, very positive on this for, for quite a while up until actually, you know, late 2010, to be honest. Um, you know, how do you feel about about this for personal use? Are you going to be considering this and or for for enterprise use? I know you do a lot of deployments of mobile devices. Is this something you're going to be considering not only for yourself, but also for for those that you support? No, absolutely not. Like not even uh, not even one little bit of consideration because the uh, right now the the like the twelve or so Blackberries I have they're running on a BlackBerry Enterprise Server Express, which was a no cost option. The uh, in order to deploy BlackBerry uh, Enterprise Server for these ten devices, you have to buy the new server that supports the. Um, uh, supports Android and the iOS, which that would be interesting because I do have a, a few iOS devices. But why would I do that when I already have the uh, Microsoft Exchange server set up and I can just use the standard uh, email setup, which works fine for me personally. And uh, if it works fine for me, it's going to work fine for everybody else. So it's not going to be a huge uh, change as far as the email functionality goes moving to a different you know either ios or android for that matter away from blackberry so it's it's a lot less cost but then the users actually want it uh, as well because i I can't really see anybody really wanting a blackberry at this point in time because of the the uh the applications that are available for for uh, ios and android you know, it's interesting. I think if if you look at at applications, because it is a it, it's a it's a valid question um, that is has come up here over the last week, and you've got seventy thousand apps that are out there. And what I've heard time and time again is that there's really only about a dozen or so that are you know we read off most of the main ones, and there's only about a dozen or so that are actually worth it at this point uh, for most people. And that's not to say that the other ones are are junk, because I know there's probably a lot of good stuff in there, but they're just hard to find in in many cases, and people aren't used to. Uh, you know, having to look 
you know, kind of scour like they are for these. And so um, as as that kind of comes online with more more of the the mainstream ones, let's just say, I think we're going to see uh, some additional, um, you know, some additional interest in, in people are more, will be more OK with the applications that are out there. But, um, you know, they hit they hit the top ones out there. And I guess that's good. But, um, you know, do you need a is there a Netflix Netflix application there yet? I, I don't think there is. Uh, you know, what else is it that you're using on a regular basis that, you know, I don't know why I just picked out Netflix, but, um, you know, maybe you travel a lot. Is there a Delta application? Is there a TripIt application? Is there, uh, you know, um, what else do I use? Kayak. Is there a way to do that? Expedia. You know, these are some of the ones that I use uh, on a regular basis. Personally, I'm really interested in the Q10. Uh, I love the QWERTY keyboards on there, and that's going to be a little bit longer before that comes out. But, uh, you know, also that's going to potentially change the way that I, I think about mobile devices yet again, because I'm, I'm pretty much okay with the, 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 the combination that I have right now with, uh, you know, with a smartphone and a tablet. But if I introduce something that's got a QWERTY keyboard on it, I would have to think about how I'm, what devices I'm carrying. And so that may be, you know, a showstopper for me is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that because I'd have to make some changes in how I'm using my mobile, my mobile tech. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, the, the applications, I know a lot of them are just Android device, uh, Android applications that have just kind of been wrapped, so they're not entirely efficient from what I've read. There's uh, a bunch of BlackBerry, uh, uh, the Playbook apps that have been shrunk down to run on the screen, which they sound fairly unusable. So you really have to be careful right now with the, the App Store and, and, and the actual apps for the phone. I mean, that, that number is highly, highly inflated. And in fact, they're probably shooting themselves in the foot by trying to tout all these numbers of apps that are available and when in fact they should really give you the realistic amount of of apps that are actually made for this device you know saying there's a couple hundred but they're they're good ones you know that's what we want i mean it's it's it is really strange we got seventy thousand, but if they're not usable i kind of remember that on the 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 blackberry when i started you know because that was actually relatively new the 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 blackberry app world or whatever it was called at the time and it uh, there was just a lot of junk in it yeah, well, here's the other part of it, too, is that they're still uh, allowing the, the Android apps uh, to work on there, from what I understand, at least a, a large number of them. So you have to, but you have to run it in an emulator uh, type of scenario. And I, I just, I, I know what they're going for here, but I just don't like uh, the way that this works. And I, I, part of me wonders if they should have just gone strictly, uh, you know, with their own stuff and made a clean break and said, okay, you know, we're not going to allow any of this stuff. I mean, maybe it makes more sense on the tablet. It just seems kind of strange on the phone, but, uh, just because you're, it's such a more mission critical device to, you know, in, in most cases than a tablet. And so you're not going to be, I don't know. I, I just can't see myself ever launching an emulator to run an application just because it's, it, it just would, it feel a little janky and I don't like that. Yeah, it would. So, I mean, we'll, really, we have to kind of let this uh, platform mature a little bit. Uh, you know, kind of almost in retrospect, you think, well, maybe they should have went with the, the QWERTY keyboard because that's kind of their bread and butter style. You know, it's something unique now, basically. Uh, the number of Android devices with keyboards seems to have declined rapidly because we had, for a lot of years, we had the slider style ones with keyboards still. And, and they they have really kind of gone by the wayside now. I know we have a few models out there still, but it, it that's really declined. So now that's to me, it seems like that uh, portrait QWERTY keyboard is kind of a it, it's kind of a unique item now that they could maybe could have uh, sold more of to launch with. Well, and you know, I, clearly it's coming. I mean, we know it'll be here in a month, a month later. But uh, you know, I think too that there's. I mean, that's I guess where I'm most interested in too is if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it with. I'm going to go with one of those. But um, you know. Having the functionality built into them right now for you know the connectivity via Exchange is huge. Um, at least it was it was big before Google pulled the, pulled the rug underneath all of us and in pulling away the Active Sync functionality for those that weren't already set up. So uh, either way, it's it, I think I think it's got some some promise. Um, I'm not sure 
if I can recommend this over a Windows phone at this point, just because Windows phone has a couple of years underneath it. And I think we could potentially see, um, you know, some, I think a little bit more maturity come out of Microsoft here if you're looking to pick up a device and, and how it's going to play out in, in the long run. But I do appreciate what they've done. Uh, a lot of a lot of what they have is very intriguing. Um, I do love a unified inbox and, and being able to pull in all the information from all of your apps and stuff into there, especially the ones that you use a lot, like Twitter and Facebook and BBM, and of course email. Is uh, that uh, that's all very intriguing. That that is, uh, I think, going to be a big push for them. It's going to be this core, still communication style device, but they've upped a lot of the other parts of it. And so you can still do your Facebook and now, oh, you've got a great browser on it too. So, uh, you know, all of this stuff combined, I think it'll be moderately successful here as it launches, um, but it's going to be a spike and then it's going to level off until the maturity happens for the platform. Yeah. And that, uh, the unified inbox, that is, a kind of one of the differentiating features. And I think for a lot of people, that is a, a great feature to, to kind of handle all of the communications going on for me. I've never actually been a fan of that for throughout the years of having, you know, mixed, I, I like the compartmentalization of, you know, messaging of each individual email account being totally separate. It's like my mindset can be kind of in that area as I'm working, as opposed to seeing the big list of, uh, email. I tried that real briefly on the Blackberries I had before and it just, I, I just didn't like it because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know if this was work or home or and it, it, it didn't. It just didn't sit right with me. Well, I'm I'm totally the opposite. I'd rather have everything in one flow. I'd rather skip going into applications when I don't need to go into applications. I hate having to do that. And so, you know, for me, this makes sense. And so, I don't know. Maybe I'm a I'm a, a more prime customer for them. I'm not really I'm not really sure just yet. It hasn't sold me on it. I've got you know. From what I've read, there's no reason for me to switch over to it. It's not like I'm going to be getting that much more functionality-wise, but it, it will be a consideration in the future, I, I guess. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see how this one plays out, as we say so often, and, and go from there. But um, you know, good news on the BlackBerry side for those that are fans, and uh, you know, you've got something now, either depending on where you are in the in the world, to to go pick up now or to look forward to in the next couple of months. Well, moving away from BlackBerry, we talked last week about how unlocking your phone is no longer legal according to the Librarian of Congress. Though the news caused quite a bit of confusion and the Electronic Frontier Foundation has come forward to clarify what exactly is going on. The main thing to know is that it's actually the unlockers themselves that will be affected by the change and they say more likely wireless carriers or even federal prosecutors will be emboldened to sue not individuals but rather businesses that unlock and resell phones. Also wireless carriers and big businesses aren't going to go after the end user. If you purchased an unlock from a site on the internet the odds of you getting in trouble are basically zero. The liability would mainly lie on the company that provided that unlock to you. Now, as for jailbreaking, that's still legal under the DMCA. Uh, the legal shield for jailbreaking and rooting your phone still remains up, and it'll protect folks for at least the next couple of years. It's worth noting that any device that you purchased before the new rule went into effect is still fair game. So if you purchased an iPhone or other mobile device before January 26th, you're still legally entitled to unlock it, whether that's officially through your carrier or any other outlet. So keep all that in mind. A new report this week from Strategy Analytics shows that Android and iOS devices accounted for 92% of all smartphones shipped worldwide in the fourth quarter. Uh, that's a record for combined share for the top wor- the two top world mobile operating systems. And in the fourth quarter of 2011, Android and iOS accounted for 75%, so we're up nearly 20%. The dominance of the mobile market has actually grown significantly for Android and Apple over the last couple of years. Android's chief driver of growth was through the past year, and its share of smartphone shipments surged 
surged from 51% in 2011 to 70% in 2012. iOS remained relatively steady, going from 23.6% to 22%. So they fell a little bit in the fourth quarter of 2012. But the story is a little bit different here in the U.S. Apple has topped Samsung as the leading cell phone vendor in the U.S. in the last three-month period of the year to become the number one U.S. vendor by volume for the first time. Aided by strong demand for its iPhone 5, Apple shipped 17.7 million phones to the U.S. That's an estimate uh, according to uh, to the uh, the folks over at Strategy Analytics, but Samsung achieved shipments of just 16.8 million smartphones. So Apple shipping almost a million more than Samsung to the U.S. in the fourth quarter. I mean, those are still amazing numbers, really. I mean, for how many people actually have smartphones already, to keep those numbers going to me seems uh, almost a little crazy that we're, we're still seeing that number. But there's got to be some sort of decline, I would think, as people as these devices are really kind of reaching that critically good point to where eh, you just hold on to it kind of like what you've seen with the iphone 4s i don't know about you mickey but that's all i see people have i, I saw one iphone 5 uh in the elevator the other day and i'm like hey wow an iphone 5 i never see those and it, it, it's all the 4s still 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 and and most of the time they're on verizon is 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 because uh, i sometimes you know ask them what what uh, carrier they're on or, or I can see the little Verizon logo on the top, and it's it's uh it's it's pretty amazing that. So I mean, I really do think the next iPhone, uh, the iPhone six on Verizon, it, it, when that finally hits, is going to be a, a bigger seller than the iPhone five. I think so too. I think we've got a you know it's a timing thing as well because people were waiting for it, and maybe they pushed through the the four and they decided not to go with that one, so then they picked up the four S. And you know, clearly there's a lot of it depends on where you are in the country too. And this is the most one of the more fascinating things that I think is you know, when you're looking into, you know, who's using what, it's also where they are and what they're using there. So um, Apple is big in certain areas and Android is big in certain areas. So it really depends on on where you are as well. But yeah, I I totally agree with you that there's, I see a lot more uh, of the fours than I do, four or four S's than I do of the iPhone fives. And uh, just a testament to, you know, the the staying power of a device like that. And and really uh, the lack of a reason to upgrade unless you're looking for something very specific, uh, whether that's maybe a new camera or the LTE or, or you're just someone who must have the latest and greatest. But uh, either way, lots of uh, lots of devices still out there. Lots of devices still being sold. 17.7 million in four months is no small feat. AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon this week announced a memorandum of understanding with the Department of Defense to explore an idea called Spectrum Sharing. Now, the agreement follows recommendations made by the NTIA last year that the option be used as an alternative to new Spectrum auctions. The companies will test sharing a 95 megahertz slice of airwaves between the 1755 and 1850 megahertz range that's currently being used by the Department of Defense. The testing will be carried out over the next couple of months and is expected to be completed by the end of March. The test will include monitoring, sharing, and uh, simulations at five locations specified by the DOD to see if activity are harmed or disrupted at nearby base stations. The results will be shared with the Commerce Spectrum Management Advisory Committee when they're ready. Verizon on Friday announced the availability of two new contract-free prepaid plans at $60 and $70 respectively. The plans offer unlimited voice and messaging plus 500 megabytes of data or unlimited voice and text with 2 gigs of data. The plans can be used only with 3G devices but are eligible for a variety of Android, BlackBerry, and iOS smartphones. 
Sprint on Monday announced the expansion of its LTE network service, now available in Austin, Texas, Bryan College Station, Texas, Boston, Massachusetts, Columbia, Tennessee, Emporia, Kansas, Fort Wayne, Indiana, Framingham, Massachusetts, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and Western Puerto Rico. Sprint says that it now offers LTE in 58 markets around the U.S. and has about 150 markets prepared to receive LTE in the coming months. T-Mobile may roll out its Go Smart mobile prepaid brand on uh, nationwide sometime this month, according to Fierce Wireless. T-Mobile is currently seeing strong demand for the Go Smart service in its test markets and said that it is using what they've learned to make a decision about the potential national launch sometime in 2013. T-Mobile's Go Smart is prepaid, uh, and it offers three different price points, including $30 a month for unlimited voice and text, $35 a month for unlimited voice, text, and 2G web service, or $45 a month for unlimited voice, text, and high-speed web service. The $45 plan includes 5 gigs of data uh, per month, after which users will be slowed down to 2G speeds. Go Smart Mobile offers SIM cards for $8 that can be activated in any unlocked GSM device. Go Smart also sells the Alcatel O. Or OT838 QWERTY messaging phone for only $69. Well, as we talk about each week, you can ho- help support the cell phone junkie and the work we do by signing up for TCPJ Unlocked. The Unlocked podcast is our bi-monthly premium show offering in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular issues, interviews with industry experts, and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked and choose from either a monthly or quarterly membership. A big thank you goes out to everyone that subscribes. Now on the Unlock Show this week, we talked about the relevancy of trade shows on the mobile industry today, as well as issues with iOS and also Google topping the mobile app charts. We then ran through some of the top obscure applications that we are both running these days. Check it out. The Unlock Show number 135. Head over to thecellphonejunkie.com and click the link for TCPJ to sign up. Following last week's iLounge rumors about new iOS devices, more surfaced early in the week about Apple um, uh, Apple's upcoming entry-level iPhone. The latest rumors state that it will include the same 4-inch Retina display as the iPhone 5, but will feature a brand new design. iLounge now claims this new model will actually be a cross between the, the iPhone 5 and the 5th generation iPod Touch and, wait for it, the iPod Classic. It will have a 4-inch screen like the iPhone 5, a bottom like the latest iPod Touch, and the shape that's similar to the iPod Classic. Classic. iLounge also claims that despite the phone's plastic case, it will still include a Gorilla Glass front panel. Also, photos leaked from 9to5Mac showing what it believes to be an aluminum housing for Apple's upcoming fifth-generation iPad. The fifth iPad will seemingly adopt the iPad Mini's design, and the new case is said to be thinner than the current iPad as well, featuring a smaller overall footprint despite the same 9.7-inch display. More rumors here, Joey. I, you know, I don't know how long we're going to have here between uh, the rumor when the rumor mill is now really starting to heat up and when we're going to see new devices seemingly it's a couple of months um you know we saw or we've seen i should say ipads launching in march for the last three or four years and then of course we had the fourth generation model of the ipad launched uh last fall and so i would be i would be a little surprised to see yet another one come out here uh next month because next month is march already here but uh if they stick with the same timeline you know maybe it's something that happens yeah, and maybe Apple's trying to uh, keep that lead up in the tablet market space. I mean, they they don't. I, I, I for some strange reason, I don't understand. Uh, you know, the numbers seem to show that they're that they're being caught up by Samsung and some of the other tablet manufacturers. But but honestly, I think the only thing they really have to worry about is the Amazon uh, Kindle Fire. I think because. Uh, you know, Android tablets really don't seem to have any popularity. As I mean, I, I've got one myself. I use it sometimes. 
but it doesn't seem to provide the same experience as the iPad. And I, I'm not sure if Apple's afraid of this and trying to keep this lead going or if this is just what they've decided to do with the tablet market is to just keep kind of keep keep running with it to 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 maintain that lead i'm not exactly sure what the strategy is but to me yeah march feels too early for it Uh, maybe it's going to be more of a summer release maybe they're going to keep this rotating pattern based on design and availability uh maybe not so much as a planned yearly release cycle but maybe they're going to start kind of doing it more on the the actual finishing of the product that's a fair point, and uh, you know, you know, lest we forget that Apple actually did announce a new iPad this week, though nothing like new, like you and I would say, is new. But it, there was an upcoming, uh, or there was an availability made for the 128 gigabyte version of the fourth generation iPad. So you can now pick one of these up um, starting Tuesday, February 5th. It's uh, $799 for the Wi-Fi model, or $929 for Wi-Fi plus 4G. And I think that'll make a lot of people happy, actually, to uh, store their videos and movies uh, on the device itself. I know a lot of people uh, like to do that and use it for, for video consumption. And 64 gigabytes is a little limiting with the, the HD video. Do you even think we're going to see anything, now that we have an option here for 128 gigs on an iPad, anything less in the new portable lines from, from Apple that's going to be less than 128 gigs? Because you can still get 64 gig laptops out there. In fact, I had one. My MacBook Air was only 64 gigs. Personally, it was fine because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't holding a ton of stuff on the device. I was offloading um, or, or not loading most of it on there just because it didn't seem to make sense. And when I'd load content on there when I was on the go, I'd immediately get it off as soon as I got to a computer that had more storage. So um, I, I think that we may see the end of the portables that are under 128 gigs moving forward because they've got it down here now to, uh, to what seemingly is a relatively cheap amount. Yeah, that's probably the case. I don't think they're actually related and it may take a while for that to happen. So really, I, I, I don't even I don't think there'd be any correlation between the iOS devices and the actual you know laptops or the airs or whatever. It, it, it'll just kind of happen as a, a gradual, natural thing of time, not 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 because of the iPad having a 128 gig option. And of course, this was added in iOS six. I know we'll talk about later, but there was an update to the iOS this week that actually enabled 128 gigabyte memory addressing. So this is uh, that's kind of the timing of this uh this announcement for the the new uh 128 gig ipad you say it's going to make a lot of people happy there was it seemed like so much angst uh, out there in the tech you know blogosphere as people were seeing that this was coming out and just angry for what i couldn't really figure out was any particular reason uh that they would they would be doing this i mean it's another option now you have four different options of storage there uh personally i think that 32 gigs is the sweet spot i i, I go over 16 gigs uh but i don't go over it by a lot and so it, it makes sense for me to go there I don't see a need to up to 64, uh, and I certainly don't see a need to go to 128. But for those that want to do it, maybe there's, you know, this is, you know, at least now you have the option. I don't see why it even matters. But yeah, a lot of people not real happy about it. I'm I'm not sure why either. I mean, what choice is good? You you want to have this option, and I think uh, you having a, a media consumption as nice as the iPad. Uh, it only makes sense to have that kind of storage capacity uh, in a device like this because for me i've got my 32 gig just stuffed to the gills and i've got no basically no video stored in there i have about two gigs stored on there and i would love to have quite a bit more on there so uh i I just uh it it, i I think for a lot of people this is a good option of course it may be frustrating somebody who just bought an ipad for uh you know very recently or in the past few months uh, that now a 128 gig option is available, but they've done this before. They did this with the iPhone. They they launched a higher capacity. I think it was the original iPhone, isn't it? That that where they they jumped the capacities real quick. 
uh, only a few months after the uh, release because they, they had a four gig and an eight gig and then all of a sudden they announced a 16 gig I, I i believe that was something like that just a few months after the launch yeah i remember that happening and it was kind of like this where it was just kind of midstream and in, in the the product cycle and I, and I don't remember was it an iPhone? it may have been an iphone but i don't know if it was the first one whatever it was maybe it was it was a 16 that they upped to. Either way, uh, this was th- th- this is kind of an interesting scenario, though, for those uh, that did just purchase a device, like you mentioned, and, and you wanted to get the biggest one for only an extra hundred bucks. You could have gotten, you know, now double the storage up to 128. Yeah, that that would be uh, that would be a little frustrating. But man, 929 because yeah, obviously you probably want the 4G if you're going that that exactly. Route. I would think so. If you're going to spend that kind of money, spring for the LTE really, because then you got the GPS in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I mean that that's kind of I don't know if it's worth it, but for the turn-by-turn navigation, if you've got some other you know data source, but uh, yeah, subscribe to the data or whatever, so you have that. At, I don't know. It's it's a uh, it's getting up there in price, so you might as well at that point, right? I don't know that I could spend over a thousand dollars tax included for an iPad. It's just uh, that's a little much. That that's that's laptop territory, and at that point, I'm probably going with a MacBook Air if I'm going to spend that kind of money. So either way, nice to nice to at least see the option for those that are looking for it, but. Uh, also, that you know, with all these rumors about other devices, why don't just wait? You know, if you've got something right now, just hold off and see. But I don't know; some are going to need it for sure. Nokia on Tuesday announcing that it will be at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona on opening day, holding a major press event that would be February 25th, the time 9 a.m. Expected announcements include some new hardware and services for the year. And last year, Nokia shocked the crowd, of course, with its new PureView 808, the jaw-dropping 41 megapixel camera in tow. Uh, no word on what nokia will be announcing sprint and kyocera on monday announced the torque a new rugged android smartphone that includes direct connect and 4g lte it's mil spec 80810g for protection against dust shock vibration solar radiation humidity blowing rain low pressure salt fog and extreme temperatures it can also sit in a meter of water for up to 30 minutes it also includes a feature called kyocera's smart sonic receiver audio technology this transmits sounds or vibrations through things such as helmets or ear protection for improved voice clarity which may be otherwise impossible to hear the torque includes battery management software called kyocera echo mode with maximizer both help reduce the amount of energy needed to uh, by blocking background data connections the torque ships with android 4.0 ice cream sandwich and includes a 4 inch wvga lcd screen a 1.2 gigahertz dual core snapdragon processor and one gig of ram it only has four gigs of built-in storage but supports micro sd up to 32 gigs five megapixel camera on the back 1.3 on the front nfc bluetooth wi-fi and gps availability beginning in march HTC confirming this week that it will be holding a press event in both New York and London on the 19th of February. That is a few days before the start of Mobile World Congress. Typically, companies will hold their press events at the show, but rumors of a new flagship phone currently called the M7 are swirling here about HTC. And shortly following this announcement, a video surfaced of a very excited HTC CEO, Peter Chow. He was pumping up his employees through the the chanting, that is, of HTC and M7, of course, that rumored name. Specs for this device include a 4.7 inch 1080p full hd display 1.7 gigahertz quad core processor and a 13 megapixel camera 2 gigs of ram 4g lte connectivity nfc and a 2300 milliamp hour battery Verizon on Tuesday announcing a new mobile hotspot from Novatel called the Jetpack 4G LTE mobile hotspot my 55510L one more time 
Jetpack 4G LTE, my, mobile hotspot MiFi 5510L. It can connect up to 10 different Wi-Fi devices to the network, and it supports a big dis- digital display for ease of use. It will be available uh, starting on the 31st of January, 20 bucks after a $50 mail-in rebate coming in the next few weeks to Verizon stores. Well, this show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for the Android and the iOS for only $1.99. For the true Cell Phone Junkie, the apps integrate the best the show has to offer in a simple and effective package. In addition to the on-demand access to the last 50 shows, you can get special features such as listening to the show in the background while you do other things on your device, calling calling into the show, also emailing the show, and following the show's Twitter feed. If you're looking to experience everything that the Cell Phone Junkie Weekly Show has to offer, our iOS and Android apps are for you. A couple of software pieces this week. First up, Apple on Monday releasing iOS 6.1 to the public. The new version features enhanced support for LTE connectivity and the ability to use Siri to purchase movie tickets through Fandango and improved iTunes match compatibilities and capabilities to allow subscribers to download individual songs from iCloud. You can get the new software by going to settings, general software update on your iPhone, iPod touch or iPad, or also of course, connecting your device to iTunes on your computer and downloading the update manually. Well, so far, so good with this update, Mickey. I did it on my uh, iPod touch, the iPhone and the iPad four. And I noticed the controls on the, if you double tap the home button when the device is locked, the controls look different. That's about the drastic of the change I noticed really with the OS. It seems nice and smooth. I don't see any uh, hangups with it, so there's no complaints. Uh, it, it fixed my Wi-Fi issue with having LTE on on my iPad. So I'm very, very, very excited about that because basically I was using my iPad as just a Wi-Fi only because it, it didn't work with the Wi-Fi if I had that on. So that, that, uh, that being fixed is a definite uh, plus. So yeah, it's uh, not much to really report about this update. Not much on my side either. It's been it's been pretty stable so far. Obviously, not not a lot changed. I got both of them updated within a couple hours of the release, and so uh, pretty pretty good news, I guess, for those that were looking to uh, that were having issues like you, I should say, and looking forward to the next version of uh, the iOS software to fix that because indeed it did. Um, I've never used Siri to uh, to purchase movie tickets, um, or I haven't yet, I should say, and I probably won't. Um, honestly, I, I've kind of moved away from Siri. I'm using Google now, the the Google application with the voice searching on it. Um, really, I, I tweeted something that I found pretty interesting this week I, I shot up um you know a, a, a query over to siri and i said uh when is the when is the super bowl actually my, my exact quote was what time is the super bowl siri came back and said the giants patriots game was on february 5th 2012 at 4 30 p.m i sent the same query what time is the super bowl and google now came back and said nfl super bowl uh between the ravens and the 49ers at 4 30 p.m on february 3rd 2013 so clearly I, I got a better result here and it's it was a good example of uh just the the lack of uh you know some of the the information that i feel like i'm getting and i feel like google still has a better implementation so i'm gonna go there and get my my queries done Interesting. I haven't even, tr- you know what? I kind of forgot about that, uh, that particular application. I've not used it. And, and realistically, I don't use Siri at all. I've, I've, uh, I st- it's still for one, for whatever reason, I only use Siri to just set reminders, uh, you know, tasks, because uh, the location based reminders are kind of neat. Uh, but that's it. That's still the only thing I've used it for. I've said, I, I, I used it once to set the alarm clock because I, I didn't even know how or where to go do that uh, in the, uh, in the iPad. <laughs> that's a pretty good, 
Well, you'd go to clock is where you would go. Uh, I don't know where, where the clock icon is. I, I you just, probably I, hit it. It's probably in a folder that you called Apple or something. I, it is. That's exactly where it is. But I don't care because I was able to tell Siri to do it probably quicker than I was able to find it. So in that case, it was good. And I use it actually for, for accessing functions of the clock, though not the alarm, but rather the timer. I'll set the timer for a lot of times and I'll say, you know, I need to do something in 10 minutes and then there you go. But, um, you know, I, I, I occasionally will set reminders. Um, you know, it, it is contextual. So you can say um, I do. I made a list um, in iCloud called grocery. And so I'll say, you know, add bananas to the grocery list and it'll do exactly what I tell it to do. So I, I do that. I don't use the location based stuff all that often because I find that, um, you know, most of the time it's it's time based, not location based that I want to remember to do something. But either way, uh, you know, it's there. I don't know how we got off on this other than to say that uh, you can now use Siri to purchase movie tickets, which uh, I don't know, just to me, that's just kind of, you know, it's an OK feature. But. Um, you know, another Siri news, I saw that Acura and Honda uh, for 2013 models, we're going to be integrating the Siri Eyes Free functionality. So uh, if you're looking to buy a new vehicle and, and maybe you're looking at, uh, you know, something from Honda or Acura, this would be a, a, something for you to consider, uh, you know, just because it's it could push you over the edge if you're someone who uses iOS. And I, I think it's pretty neat that they're able to to do some of this here. And after all this bashing of Siri, it is pretty neat to be able to do this stuff with your car. Uh, and, and so I do appreciate that. So check that out, too, if you're interested in that. Facebook for iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch was updated this week to version 5.2, which was then updated to version 5.2.1 and 5.2.2, depending on what day or uh, date you were uh, looking to get your update done here. Highlighted features include voice messages, video recording, and a new nearby tab. Voice messages are marketed as a way to add audio to your messages when you have more to say. Video recording is now part of the app, allowing you to record uh, without having to leave the application. Google on Monday updated Google Drive for iOS devices. Drive version 1.2.2 adds the ability to upload multiple photo and video files at the same time, improving support for quick office documents, new fonts into docs, diagonal scrolling and cell formatting in sheets, and pinch to zoom in slides. Now, uh, this was actually a, a bigger deal than I thought it was. When I initially saw this, I thought, oh, it's just a point release, no big deal, whatever. Now, I, here, here's the deal with me. Um, I I have a lot of photos. I have like... Uh, boy, I don't know, eight eighty gigabytes of photos or something like that, and uh, so uh, or maybe seventy gigs of photos. And so I was looking for a good way to back those up all online, and I had them kind of spread out over multiple services and multiple accounts, and it, it was just a mess. Uh, we ended up with a uh, an option last year where you could get eighty gigs of storage from Google for only twenty bucks a year. So I jumped on it, and so whenever I'm I'm you know saving my new videos, I'm always saving or photos that is, I'm saving them now to Google Drive. And it's it's really convenient and you can access them on the go and stuff like that. But if I was ever taking pictures on a digital camera, I've got the, um, uh, what do you call it, the little adapter where you can plug in the SD card and then plug it into your iPad. I could use that and pull all the photos onto my iPad, but I could never then upload them to my, my folder architecture hierarchy that I had set up uh, because you had to do them, you know, single photo at a time. This fixes that. So... In Mickey's very specific use case scenario of how he uses Google Drive to back up all of his photos and potentially brings a digital camera with him with an SD card and brings his iPad with him and remembers the adapter to do all this, I can now upload all of my photos at the same time uh, from an SD card over to Google Drive. It's a pretty, pretty good update for me, and so that's why I wanted to mention it. 
On Windows, uh, win the Windows Phone side, there's an official blog post uh, on the Windows Phone blog announcing that Microsoft um, has, ha or sorry, that Google has announced that Microsoft uh, Windows Phone users will now get Gmail access through the Exchange ActiveSync protocol on Windows Phone devices until July 31st of 2013. Just kind of a PSA: if you were someone or is are someone who has been using the ActiveSync protocol to get your Gmail, you know, your mail, your contacts, your calendar on any device, they are Google is now cutting off the ability to set up new connections effective. I think it was either the 30th or the 31st of January. So if you get a new iOS uh, device or some device that uses the ActiveSync protocol, you're no longer going to be able to set these up. Uh, however, if you are a Windows Phone user, uh, you got a little a little olive branch sent over to you here or handed out to you that you will be able to do this now through July 31st of 2013. And in the meantime, time, Microsoft will be uh, adding support for both CardDAV and CalDAV to the Windows Phone operating system and combining with the IMAP support you can get your Gmail account on your Windows Phone device and get that smooth experience from Google uh, that they say is a smooth experience once the Exchange ActiveSync support stops later this year. And I know with the, the new Blackberries, uh, the units that did go, the few units that are out into uh, people's hands right now, they're having issues with the, uh, the, the CardDAV uh, support right now it's crashing certain certain calendar elements are crashing the 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 syncing or the calendar or something like that so gotta be a little little aware of that issue right now but there is a workaround i think so if you have that problem go uh go check that out so i'm uh you know i'm interested in trying to you know trying to figure out the best way to you know, to get my mail all the time. And, you know, so every once in a while, I'll switch back and forth between using the native mail client and the Gmail applications on, on iOS. And boy, I, ju I just got to tell you, the the fact that it pulls the message in, pulls all the content in, you don't have to load it all up. I mean, it just it saves you five to 10 seconds every time uh, you, you use the mail, uh, the native mail client versus the Gmail client. So I, I, I'm just not really all that that excited about it. And I will likely not wipe um, I, my iOS devices until I absolutely have to to have to move over to this because it's just not it's not an exciting thing for me. No, it's not at all. And uh, that 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 back that that lack of background multitasking for the email app to pull that in that's a that's a huge thing for me too, Mickey. And I'm I'm actually contemplating uh, switching maybe over to the uh, the the Microsoft uh, Outlook.com or or Hotmail. It kind of uses the Hotmail backend for uh, for my personal email. I can easily do that because I actually I use um, you know I have my own domain name that I use for my email address. So basically, I can just you know, change the domain name to point to Hotmail versus Gmail. So uh, that's uh, I, I do recommend actually doing that for anybody who has uh, who, who wants to have personal email and not have to worry about which provider they're using in case some, you know, stunts like this get pulled. So it's it's one thing to uh, one thing to think about uh, when you have an email address. Yeah, well, I I I agree with you in, in one regard and that that is something to to consider, though. I would argue, though, that the, the amount of storage that you get and the increasing availability of the storage, you know, as it continues to grow and grow, uh, is, a, is a good thing uh, for Gmail. Uh, and generally, it's a, a relatively robust uh, solution. I know, you know, most people love the searching capabilities of it. Not to say that Outlook doesn't have uh, all of this, that, you know, the, the, the old Hotmail doesn't have it. But um, I don't know. I, I have a really hard time seeing myself switching over. Uh, that all said, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal, right? Because you can, Gmail has the automatic forwarding abilities if you are someone who's using it and as you uh, as you make the switch over, you can figure out a way to uh, you know to update people in your new email address, and you'll still get all your messages from there. So no big deal. Uh, but yeah, totally get it. Um, you know, I would I would argue though that I I'm, I'm gonna stay with Gmail. I don't see any reason to leave at this point. No, not at this point. We'll we'll see, and and maybe the next version of iOS will have some sort of uh, the the idle uh, the IMAP idle where we can get push support in the OS. Uh, we'll see. Maybe they will. 
Maybe, maybe that that's uh, seems like a little bit of a battery drain, but then again, exchanges too, right? So whatever. Well, how does it work on Android phones? I mean, that's the thing. I th- I'm pretty sure it's IMAP Idle is how it works. It's not through Exchange. Clearly, why would they do that? So anyway, uh, interesting news though, though for you uh, Windows Phone users, that you're good through July 31st. Anyway, Nokia on Wednesday announced that it would be making Windows Phone 7.8 available to its older Lumia smartphones. The update will be pushed out on a carrier by carrier basis over the coming weeks. In addition to the new start screen and adjustable live tiles, Windows Phone 7.8 adds new functionality to the lock screen, such as a daily Bing image and child lock security. The software can be installed via Microsoft's desktop apps on the Nokia Lumia 900, 800, 710, and 610. Android police got their hands on documents this week from Qualcomm that seem to indicate the next version of Android known as Key Lime Pi launching sometime this spring. The details were subsequently removed from the site at Qualcomm's request. Google's I.O. conference will run from May 15th through the 17th of the year, and this is the typical time frame for when new versions of Google's OS are announced. Finally this week, the HTC Thunderbolt received its ice cream sandwich on Thursday update on thursday the update brings the device to version 4.0.4 and sense 3.6 well no questions and comments this week so we'll just leave you with a reminder that if you're interested in the contest that we're running the zag keys pro plus make sure you head over to twitter at twitter.com slash cell phone junkie and retweet our review of the keyboard itself insert the hashtag tcpj that'll get you entered do so by next saturday february 9th 2013 at 11 59 p.m that's specific time and we'll choose somebody and announce them as the winner on next week's show joey thank you very much as always for your time we'll talk to you later thanks for listening for more information about the stories you've just heard visit us at the cellphonejunkie.com <laughs>